Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Our goal here is to give health information to the listeners that they can all use so they can improve their health. However, what I've seen recently is make me wonder if some people want to block that. When I saw the movie Apollo 11, I just saw the premiere of Armstrong, it made me cry. We're so proud of our country, which I love. Now I want to cry for a different reason. Health documentaries have been taken off Amazon Prime including my own documentary, The Big Secret. Big Secret wanted to help with nutrition and helping people get well. It'll be on other platforms, so I'll keep you updated on that, and it's on our Facebook. Other things happening is people like Joseph McCullough, Kelly Brogan, Sayer G. Google is changing it, so when you put something in, it appears on page 23 rather than popping up on page 1. Uh, there's also an article I found that said Google is going to do the same to anti-GMO information and alternative approaches to cancer. I don't know what this is all about, but it doesn't look like there's some good intention behind it. I have no idea. But our goal here is to get information out while we can. So with me today, I'm honored to have Sally Fallon Morell. She's the founding president of the Western A. Price Foundation which you can find at westernaprice.org. It is a nonprofit nutritional education foundation dedicated to returning to nutrient-dense food to American tables. She's also the founder of A Campaign for Real Milk. Uh, This can be found at realmilk.com, which has a goal of universal access to clean, raw milk from pasture-fed animals. This really sounds great because I understand raw milk is the only food that has all the enzymes necessary to digest it. So this sounds like a good project to me, folks. She is the author of the best-selling cookbook, Nourishing Traditions, which she wrote with Mary G. Enig. And she also wrote the Nourishing Traditions book of Baby and Child Care with Thomas Cohen, who's been on our show. Also, Nourishing Broth with Kayla Daniel. Also, Nourishing Fats and Nourishing Diets. She and her husband, Jeffrey, are owners of a P.A. Bowen Farmstead website, P-A-B-O-W-E-N farmstead.com. This produces raw cheese and milk from pasteurized cows, woodlands, wayfade pork, and grass-fed poultry and eggs in Southern Maryland. Learn more about her and visit her blog at nourishingtraditions.com. So welcome, Sally. It's such an honor to have you on our show. Uh, thank you, Susan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, tell us about the work of Western Price. So Western Price was wanted to answer the question, what is a healthy diet? It's a question we're still wondering about, right? And he traveled all over the world in the 30s and 40s studying healthy people and then looking at what they ate. And by healthy people, he meant people who had excellent dental health. He was a dentist. That means no cavities and naturally straight teeth. They had very good bone structure, and their whole bodies were 
uh, you know, uh, well-constructed, but the face especially was broad so that there was plenty of room for the teeth to come in straight. And, of course, these diets were all different. The healthy people in Alaska ate a different food from the healthy people in the South Seas. But there were some underlying um, similarities, uh, principles, and the main one was nutrient density. These foods were very high in minerals, but more important and more more striking was that they were very high in what we call the fat-soluble activators or the fat-soluble vitamins. These are vitamins A, D, and K, which we cannot get from a lot of foods. We get from the foods we're being told not to eat. So that would be butter from grass-fed animals, organ meats like liver, egg yolks from grass-fed poultry, uh, fish eggs and certain types of seafood, the fish livers and the fish liver oil. So we're big advocates of old-fashioned cod liver oil. Raw cheese is another uh, wonderful nutrient-dense food. So these are all high-cholesterol, high-fat foods that we're being told not to eat. They were the very foods that nourished these people and gave them such good health. So we established the Weston A. Price Foundation, number one, to teach people why these foods are important and to show them um, how bad the research is that tells us not to eat these foods. And secondly, to establish a system of local chapters so that people can find these foods because... They're hard to find. Uh, you have to pretty much um, purchase them straight from the farmer. So you're new to this diet, uh, you go to our website, which is Weston, T-O-N-A-Price.org, by the way, not Western. And um, we have a beginner's tour on our um, website, and then you can find your local chapter. And they keep a local food resource list to tell you where you can find the foods that we're recommending. Okay, so you've he's studied many, many different cultures. So mm-hmm. the underlying message from this was there are certain consistencies in what foods are healthy? Well, they were the organ meats and the animal fats. Um, the traditional cultures did not eat lean meat. Lean meat was rubbish, and uh, if they killed an animal that was too lean, they threw it away. When they killed an animal, they ate the organ meats, the, uh, they saved the fat, they ate the marrow, uh, they ate the liver, of course, and the they saved some of the tender uh, lean, uh, meat, but they always ate that meat with fat. Uh, they knew that eating lean meat would make them sick, and yet we're being told to eat lean meat, a skinless chicken breast, uh, skim milk, you know, um, egg whites without the yolks, and or take a protein powder. And this really violates one of the first rules of nutrition that uh, protein needs to be eaten with fat. Otherwise, it can be quite toxic. Yes, my understanding is that if you eat just a load of meat without the fat, it you know at some point raises your insulin, which is one of the things mm-hmm. that leads us down a path toward poor health, and the only way to prevent that is to eat the fat. Of course, the next corollary is since all the toxins are in the fat, we've got to eat organic. Otherwise, we're eating a pile of toxins. So why did we get on this path of recommending Uh, eating no yolks and no fat? Because in the cholesterol, we make 80% of it, and only 20% comes from our diet. So how do we get on that path? 
Yeah, um, it's it was very misguided. I really think one of the real reasons, well, there were two reasons. One is cholesterol was one of the first things that we learned to measure in the blood. It's a big molecule. We could measure it. So let's make some money off this somehow. But secondly, it was the vegetable oil industry promoting their products, and they had to figure out a way to demonize the competition. And since vegetable oil contains no cholesterol, they could say, well, that's great. We have no cholesterol. Animal fats like lard and butter are full of cholesterol. And so we're going to demonize cholesterol so that people will use the um, industrial seed oils instead. Uh, and I, I give the whole history of this in my book, Nourishing Fats. It's, it was a very deliberate campaign uh, to get people to eat these new seed oils, which came into existence in the late uh, 1800s when they invented the um, stainless steel roller press. And before that time, you, you just couldn't get oil out of soybeans or cottonseed or in corn. Uh, so um, it, w- it was a very deliberate campaign. And, you know, one of the most tragic aspects of this, you say that we, can, we um, make most of our cholesterol, which is true. But children, well, infants and toddlers do not make cholesterol. They can't. They don't have the enzyme systems online yet. And they have a very high requirement for cholesterol to form the brain, the nervous system, and the gut. The gut requires a lot of cholesterol to work properly. And um, so what we're doing is we're telling pregnant women to eat low-fat diets, and um, if she puts the and if if she's nursing on a low-fat diet, she won't have a lot of cholesterol in her milk. And by the way, mother's milk should be very high in cholesterol and it has a special enzyme to ensure the infant absorbs all of that cholesterol. But if the baby's on infant formula, there is, it almost makes me cry to say this, there is no cholesterol in infant formula. And the scientists who make this formula know very well that there should be cholesterol in the formula because they deliberately put animal fats in the milk replacer for animals. For, for cows, for example. So they know it should be there. Uh, but the babies are raised on low-cholesterol diets. You know, their first foods are rice and applesauce. And no wonder we're seeing such tragic consequences in our children today. So one this, of the makes, that, yeah, this makes me want to cry because I remember I advertisements it, trying to encourage people throughout the country to use processed milk and not the breastfeed and we also need cholesterol for our cell walls we need for our hormones and it's very dangerous for cholesterol goes down especially when you're developing when you're a developing child so this policy is really genocide and by the way all the sex hormones are made out of cholesterol testosterone estrogen progesterone they're all made out of cholesterol so a young Growing people, if they don't have enough cholesterol, they're just not going to make these sex hormones, and then the result is infertility. So the big um, focus at the Weston A. Price Foundation has been diets for preconception, conception, pregnant women, nursing women, and growing children, uh, and we recommend a very high-fat, high-cholesterol diet, and the first foods for babies should be egg yolk and liver, the two highest cholesterol foods, and these, of course, are very nutrient-dense foods, and get these children off to a good start. And um, it's the only time that you can do that. It's the time when they're growing, they're forming things, they're forming connections in the brain. Uh, You can't wait till they're 
adults and feed them this diet and have this happen. The windows of opportunity have passed. Another thing that uh, the listener should be aware of is to use the vegetable oils. They're so highly processed that I don't think our cell walls will incorporate them, and I think that could lead to great health risk. Also, I've come across memos where uh, people were trying to bribe Harvard researchers to say that uh, yeah. fats are the bad guys. So this is well. What happened is the the vegetable oils. Uh, there's two things that are really wrong with them. One is that they're full of um, free radicals and toxic aldehyde breakdown products. So these are a recipe for cancer and heart disease right there. But also, they're very high in polyunsaturates, mostly omega-6, and the body incorporates those into the cell walls, and then the cell walls don't work very well. Your your cell walls need to be, or cell membranes, need to be at least 50% saturated for the cells to work properly. 50% saturated, 40% monounsaturated, and the rest omega-6 and omega-3. And when you're eating all these industrial fats and oils, uh, your cell membranes are going to be a mess. They just are not going to work right. Another thing I'd like to add is researchers say that cholesterol is not the culprit in heart attacks is half the people with heart attacks have normal cholesterol. Rather or low cholesterol, any, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, rather people are thinking it's the number of small LDL particles, the size of them, and the endothelial dysfunction. Also, another comment is people are worried about the planet, and oh my gosh, all these animals, and uh, you know, the flatulence mm-hmm. and methane. However, <laughs> in talking with Fred Provenza and Natasha Campbell McBride, they thought that having a biodiverse agriculture with animals and plants is far more uh, equipped to save the planet than just having this big agribusiness with monocrops. So I think it could help the planet. Yeah, it's all the chemicals that we're poisoning our our earth with all the chemicals and monocropping. And you can raise healthy grass-fed beef, healthy grass-fed animals with little or no grain, and they actually help rebuild the soil and the soil microbiome. So, um, And, of course, there's a huge discussion about whether the earth is even getting warmer. Some people say it's getting cooler. So, so I, I think this is just completely silly. Um, we had far more ruminant animals on the uh, North and South American continents um, you know, uh, 300 years ago, um, and then we had uh, global warming in the um, uh, medieval warming period when people were only burning wood. So, I mean, the whole thing is just uh, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So are these areas that Western, I, unfortunately I pronounce Western and it's Western, like Western, Western so excuse yeah. my, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to pronounce W-E-S-T-O-N, but I yeah, guess it's yeah. my New York speech impediments <laughs> getting in the way. So are these areas that, uh, that, that he explored the same as the Blue Zones? Um, not really. <laughs> um, blue Zones were different. Now I have a whole critique of this blue zone stuff in my book, Nourishing Diets, because they completely misrepresent what people are really eating in these blue zones. And they leave out the studies showing that the people in the blue zones were eating more fat and more animal products than the people, you know, close by who didn't live as long. <laughs> um, yeah, so this whole blue zone stuff, I call it, I call this chapter in my book, True Blue Zones, because 
yeah, they're not telling the truth about what people really eat in these blue zones. And one thing I think what intrigues me is like when you study the Inuits who their diet was so high in fat, you mm-hmm. were explaining how they get their vitamins from broth and eating organ meats and the calcium yeah. from the bones. Can you tell us more about, more about that? Well, um, the Eskimo diet, of course, is a very interesting diet. It's one of the few diets that's <clears throat> virtually devoid of plant foods. Although they do eat, the, for example, the moss that's fermenting in the reindeer intestines, things like that. <clears throat> but um, uh, where was I? <laughs> About the, um, the broth and what was the other thing you asked me? Well, I mean, as I recall, you uh, reading some of your writings that broth and raw fish meat and, and yeah. vitamin A from seal oil and you get calcium fermented mm-hmm. bones. That where do they get? Oh, it? I wanted to, that's what I wanted to talk about. It's the bones. So one of my big concerns about the paleo diet and other of these carnivore diets is the lack of calcium, and we really do need a lot of calcium and. Uh, there are really only two places to get calcium. One is dairy products, and of course, it will be much more easily absorbed from raw dairy products. But people who didn't have dairy animals ate bones. They um, crushed up the bones of small animals or birds and added it to their food. In the case of the Eskimos, they fermented fish until the whole fish, including the bones, became soft and then ate the whole thing. So that's how they got their calcium. And I think people who are avoiding dairy products, uh, they have to make uh, arrangements to get some bones in their diet. Uh, The easiest way to do that is to make chicken broth and then crush up the soft bones that are left. So um, that sounds very good. So what about the vegan diets or what can the seven-day Adventists tell us about diet and longer life expectancy? Uh, there was a chapter in the Blue Zones on the Seventh-day Adventists, but there wasn't anything in there that indicated by any study that they were living longer. There were no vegan populations that Dr. Price studied, no vegetarian populations. All of these healthy people made sure to get animal products in their diet, and all of the sacred foods, all the foods that they considered necessary for reproduction and having healthy babies, they were all animal foods. So we are very, very concerned about this idea that the vegan or the vegetarian diet is healthy and very concerned about this being pushed on teenage girls because this is the very time in their life when they need to be eating a lot of animal foods and, you know, a nutrient-dense diet so they can have healthy children. Yeah, it's interesting going down to Loma Linda where the seven-day Adventists are and going into their store and you've got a huge aisle full of imitation meat and that yep. makes me wonder. <laughs> and so. Well, you know, the, in the early days in California, it was the Seventh-day Adventists who worked so hard to make sure that everybody could get raw milk. And California has some of the most liberal laws for raw milk. You can go into a store and buy it. So the um, Seventh-day Adventists were not vegans in the early days. They were vegetarians who used raw milk, which is a wonderful food. And they kind of got taken over by the soy industry, um, which told them, you know, soy milk is better and you shouldn't drink cow's milk. So um, I don't think the Seventh-day Adventists are nearly as healthy today as they were 30 or 40 years ago.
Well, tell us about raw milk. Okay. I get well, it here I'm, in London easily, and I get it in California easily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess I'm just lucky. Well, you can get it pretty easily almost anywhere now because there's what I call the Amish Empire, and the Amish farmers are delivering it. And our chapter leaders can tell you where to get raw milk. But uh, it's such a shame that uh, raw milk has been demonized, uh, just like high cholesterol foods have been demonized. And this idea that it's not safe is, I say, it's based on 40-year-old science. We now have um, a lot of good numbers about raw milk. Uh, first of all, since the CDC started keeping records in the 1970s, there has not been a single death from raw milk. And remember, most of this milk is not regulated. So there hasn't been a single death from raw milk, and there have been maybe 60 or 70 deaths from pasteurized milk. So to say that raw milk is inherently dangerous, just, you know, it's not a scientific statement. And we know so much more about milk today than we knew in the 1950s when they were pushing for pasteurization. We now know that uh, raw milk is just an amazing um, food uh, that has compounds in it that um, create the immune system or support the immune system that help uh, heal leaky gut, that um, uh, bind to toxins and take them out of the body. Um, raw milk is very rich in uh, glutathione, which protects us in a toxic world. And every single vitamin and mineral in raw milk has an enzyme that ensures 100% assimilation, and no other food is like that. And once you pasteurize, all these enzymes, all these immune factors, all these protective factors are gone. And then you have a, a food that actually is can be dangerous because if a pathogen gets into pasteurized milk, it will proliferate, whereas if a pathogen gets into raw milk, it'll be killed. It'll go away. What about people who are lactose intolerant? Might they tolerate raw milk a little better? Uh, yes, I I call it pasteurization intolerance, not lactose oh. intolerance. And because we found, we did a survey, we found that 82% of people diagnosed as lactose intolerant can drink raw milk without any problems whatsoever. And I'm one of those. Uh, I cannot drink pasteurized milk. makes me quite ill, but um, I thrive on raw milk. And it always, I get a little bit upset when I go in to some place that's supposed to be healthy and they're serving skim milk. I don't get it. I want full-fat milk if they're going to give it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's just a And lot. the full-fat, even if it's pasteurized, the full-fat's going to be um, much more digestible. The fat's what are they necessary doing to for digestion. Food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I think at one point you mentioned that kidney disease is one of the highest costs in health care. And what do you believe the causes of this are? Well, that's a very interesting question. Uh, yes, I think about 50% of all health care costs are for kidney disease because of dialysis, so expensive. Um, I have a few theories. Um, one is, and you're going to laugh, but one is ice cream. Uh, because ice cream is allowed, the manufacturers are allowed to put in a, they call it um, food-grade uh, antifreeze, propylene glycol, and it might be food-grade, but we know that antifreeze is very toxic to the kidneys. 
um, you can kill somebody by giving them antifreeze because they get um, crystals build up in the kidneys and they die of kidney disease. Um, So I think it's the huge amounts of ice cream that Americans eat. And why are they eating so much ice cream? Because they're avoiding animal fats all day long and then by the time evening comes along or lunch comes along, they're just craving fats and so they eat ice cream. Um, And a second thing I I think it needs to be looked into, but it's microwaving. Um, Years ago, I read a study about they were microwaving the frozen mother's milk and the preemie wards in the hospitals, and the babies who drank the microwaved milk died of kidney failure. So I think we really need to look at this. And, of course, this is something that most Americans do. They microwave their food. Uh, there, I'm sure there's other factors. I think B6 deficiency, vitamin A deficiency, you know, the kidneys are just not being supported. And another thing that's come along today is eating all of these uh, green juices, you know, taking kale and chard and stuff and mixing them up for a juice. That's, those juices are going to be just loaded with oxalic acid, which is, you know, can cause kidney stones. So wow. I think it's a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, by the way, soy foods are even higher in oxalic acid and will cause stones anywhere in the body. But So there's a lot of things in the modern diet that um, would predispose to kidney disease. This is pretty scary. I mean, because you see all these people trying to be very healthy with their green, yeah. with their Speedos green on. Drink. Dr- I know. Be drinking green I'm- drinks out of plastic uh, glasses yeah. or bottles. And I'm going, what the F? Yeah, and, or kale, um, kale chips. <laughs> you know, um, there's a place for these leafy greens, uh, but the really tough leafy greens like kale and chard, they need to be cooked a long time. Think of southern greens and cooked with some fat. So think of they put fat back or turkey tails or something in there. Um, these these greens, um, we, you know, and this is a perfect example of a food that we've taken out of the context of the traditions. And whenever we look at a food, we need to ask, how was this traditionally prepared? And what I love about the work that we do at the foundation is that uh, so often we find that science actually validates these traditions. So would you recommend we cook our vegetables? Because what about the people on a raw diet? Well, I don't recommend an all-raw diet. No traditional culture ate an all-raw diet. And it was mostly the plant foods that they cooked. And uh, there are some tender vegetables that we can eat raw in salads like lettuce and uh, fruits like tomatoes and stuff. Most people can eat those foods raw. Not everybody. People with a very uh, gentle or tender digestion might not be able to eat these. But most vegetables should be cooked, and I would even say cooked a pretty long time. Uh, Otherwise, they're really a strain on digestion. And, you know, that takes us into the whole subject of grains because in traditional cultures, they had a long preparation for grains that involved soaking and, uh, you know, like a fermentation and then a cooking. And the reason people are having so much trouble with their grains today is that they're not preparing them properly. 
Uh, well, I understand from some of our experts, such as Tom O'Brien, that uh, we don't have the enzymes to digest the gluten, so people switch to non-gluten flours, but apparently with those, it's a higher glycemic index than gluten. Also, they lack a lot of the uh, coenzymes. I just heard Tom speak a couple days ago, and so we get a lot of nutritional deficiencies if we switch to the higher glycemic non-gluten flours. I mean, I understand. I mean, I've seen recipes where we just use almond flour, coconut flour, a little nut butter, low glycemic index, but yummy bread. (laughs) Well, we can eat wheat. Wheat in the Bible is the the best grain. It's, you know, the considered the top of the grains, but it has to be in a sourdough bread, a genuine sourdough bread. And they did, they've done studies in Italy with people diagnosed with celiac disease. They give them genuine sourdough bread and they have no problem with it at all. Great. Uh, So we need to properly prepare the grains to ferment them. And of course, here in the States, we're eating things like granola, uh, puffed extruded breakfast cereals, a lot of rough whole grains, uh, like whole wheat uh, bagels and things like this. And these are like eating a bunch of screws and nails, really. They just tear up your gut. So yeah. we've gotten into a lot of trouble on grains because we are not preparing them properly. Oh, that's great information. Uh, okay, so what about soy? I mean, a lot of people, leaving out that 95% of it and corn are GMO modified, which is <laughs> another recipe for disaster. Supposing we get organic soy or organic corn, what do you recommend about those? I heard that they have a lot of health, bad health outcomes and certain toxins in them. So what what is your information? Yeah, soy is a toxic food. <clears throat> and, uh, the, the organization that has been beating the drum on this is the Weston A. Price Foundation. Soy is uh, very high in isoflavones. These are estrogens, and you know everyone's talking about endocrine disruption. Uh, soy is the number one endocrine disruptor. And uh, these uh, isoflavones are also very toxic to the thyroid gland. So soy is a big cause of thyroid disease. And soy is also extremely hard to digest. It has enzyme inhibitors, very high in phytic acid. And when we look at how soy was prepared in Asia, it was fermented a long, long time, six months to three years, and then eaten as a condiment or flavoring in very small amounts. It was not a major protein source, and it was not just, they didn't just boil up soybeans and eat them because they knew it would make you sick. Um, and now we see, you have to understand that where's all this push for soy coming from? Well, 80% of all oil used in processed foods is soybean oil. And what they have left over is a high protein sludge. And the food engineers have figured out how to isolate the protein from the sludge. This is a soy protein isolate. Now, even though this is a very high heat process, all of these toxins are still there. I mean, I have, I've found old notes from the 70s where they were saying if we um, get rid of all the toxins, then we get rid of all the proteins and it'll be very allergenic and so forth. Now, um, we have kind of pushed back on the soy. When we started our campaign to warn people about the dangers of soy, they were predicting 8 billion in sales by now. 
and it kind of plateaued out at $4 billion, and most of that is going to food and institutions. However, soy has come roaring back in the Impossible Burger. The oh, Impossible that is Burger scary. It's made of soy yeah. protein isolate. First of all, when you look at these things, they look disgusting. I mean, how anyone would think want to put that in their mouth. Well, they do because there's a lot of flavorings in it, MSG and things like that. But this is soy. It's They're made of soy, and uh, they're going to make you very sick. Yeah, I just want to mention that MSG is a neurotoxin, as is aspartame, yeah. which thanks to Donald Rumsfeld, he was paid handsomely to get the FDA to approve aspartame, even though they knew it caused cancer. I mean, wonderful world we live in. So MSG, any additives, any coloring, uh, the buyer has to be beware. In the United States, even if it says natural, that is a way that they can hide all their secret ingredients and trade secrets. So natural doesn't mean anything either. Anything hydrolyzed is MSG. And soy, because of the way it's made, they actually create a lot of MSG just in making it. So this is a neurotoxin. Uh, One of the side effects of MSG is weight gain, um, obesity. So, um, you know, people eating a lot of processed food, and all processed food contains MSG in one guise or another. And so people eating a lot of processed food are, you know, going to have trouble with weight gain. Yeah, not all the toxins in it, and I mean, it's just eating a bunch of chemicals. It's not what our body was designed for. Right. Uh, what do you what is what do you think about having salt? Some people say a lot of salt, and uh, I think it varies on on your aldosterone to renin ratio. Personally, that it's a variable. But what do you think about salt? Well, we need salt. We we cannot live without salt, and. In the ancient times, they used uh, they could remove salt to control people because you needed salt. And this idea that we should have low salt diets or no salt diets is a you know another a way of killing people. Um, uh, babies need salt for development, and most baby books tell mothers not to eat salt when they're pregnant and not to give salt to babies. This is another form of genocide. Uh, we definitely need salt, and growing children need salt now. People vary in their requirements, but at a minimum, we need a teaspoon and a half of salt per day to satisfy our requirements for sodium and chloride. And we need chloride to make hydrochloric acid so we can digest protein, so we can digest meat, and we need sodium to make the various enzymes that we use for digesting carbohydrates. So without salt, you cannot digest your food. And um, salt is, um, I mean, it's just the basic requirement. We need salt to have a different chemistry on the inside and outside of the cell. Uh, we, you know, so our cells can work. We need um, uh, salt for um, adrenal function. People who are under a lot of stress need more salt. So um, this notion that we should cut back on salt, I, it's very ill-conceived, and I think people's own instincts will tell them how much salt they need. Some people just have to put a lot of salt on their food. Some people don't need so much. So I think the body is telling them how much they need. Uh, and do you recommend any particular kind of salt, Himalayan yes. salt? Yes. Well, we recommend unrefined salt. Uh, so we have we ha- we publish a shopping guide, and we have probably a whole page of suggested recommended salts. 
uh, sea salt or Himalayan salt or mine salt. I mean, there's lots of them. You just don't want salt that's white because that's refined. So the unrefined salt has magnesium, about 10% magnesium, and all the trace minerals that are in the sea. So it's a wonderful way to get your trace minerals. Um, I also notice in some of your writings that oatmeal is an okay thing to eat if you soak it overnight. Is that right. correct? We, yeah, you, uh, you soak it overnight in warm water plus a tablespoon of something acidic like vinegar. That uh, gets the slight acidity you need to activate all the enzymes. And then the next morning you cook your oats. So no muesli here. You, those need to be cooked with salt. And then you eat your oatmeal with some kind of good fat, like butter or cream. And it's a wonderful, wonderful food. And you also recommend fermented foods. Yes. uh, My book, Nourishing Traditions, was the book that introduced the concept of raw lacto-fermented foods to the public, uh, like sauerkraut, but raw sauerkraut. So you're getting all of the enzymes and all of the good bacteria that you need to feed, uh, you know, your gut biome every day. And, you know, this this practice has really been vindicated in the last 20 years. We've seen a complete paradigm shift in how we think about uh, microbes. You know, they used to be the, the enemy, <laughs> the villain in the piece. And now we realize that without the six pounds of beneficial bacteria in our guts, we're dead. We, we have to have these. So every single traditional culture in the world eats raw fermented foods, every single one, and whether it's raw fermented cabbage or fermented fish or fermented meat or fermented milk, uh, all cultures have fermented foods, and um, these have a lot of um, healthy aspects to them, one of which is that you're kind of getting a, a refill of your bacteria every day. And by the way, these bacteria do get through the gut. We're not quite sure how, but studies have shown that they do get to the small intestine where they, where they do their good work. I also recall that you recommended if you're going to cook brown rice to soak it in water and vinegar you know, overnight and then cook it. Yes, you can do that. It just you just need seven hours of soaking for your okay. for your rice. Mm-hmm. And what will the soaking and, do? And I really recommend these practices for people who have a lot of digestive problems because basically what you're doing is pre-digesting. Okay. Now, also, um, it, we've mentioned some of these, but things that are to be re- avoided would be high fructose corn syrup. A lot of it's genetically modified, might have had lead in it. As you said, mo- uh, monosodium glutinate and any glutamate, glutamate yeah. soy, yeah. artificial sweeteners, and flavorings, yeah. because if you've got less than 50%, they don't have to label it. So, they, you know, you just get Right, so they, they buy these mixes, they're called spices or even natural spices, and as long as it's less than 50% MSG in that mixture, they don't have to label it, uh, you know, on the food. So when you see flavorings, that's MSG. There's MSG there. And what would you use to sweeten? <laughs> there are wonderful natural sweeteners in nature, and we never tell people that they can't have sweet things. I mean, we have a sweet taste in our mouth. We have a salt taste. We have an umami taste. We have a fat taste. They're there for a reason because we're supposed to eat those foods. So we don't recommend depriving yourself completely of sweet things. We recommend being reasonable and moderate 
and making your own desserts. But the natural sweeteners include raw honey, maple syrup, uh, coconut sugar, um, um, rapadura, which is um, dehydrated cane sugar juice. So these can be used in moderation. You know, we like to say that there's no renunciation on our diet. You can have everything on our diet. You can have delicious uh, sauces made with bone broth. You can have good fats. You can have desserts. You can have salt. You can have grains. Um, You can have all these things in our diet. Uh, Any special recommendations for a woman preparing for pregnancy? Yes, yeah, so the pregnancy diet, and this is all on our website, it's in my books, <clears throat> is a very high-fat diet uh, for at least six months before conception and then through pregnancy. This diet includes lots of grass-fed butter, cod liver oil every day, liver a couple times a week, um, um, raw milk, you know, a couple glasses of raw milk a day, a very nutrient-dense diet. And by the way, we've had many, many uh, happy moms tell us that they couldn't get pregnant. They were in despair of getting pregnant until they went on this preconceptual diet, and then they got pregnant. So we need these fats to get pregnant. And I also understand you recommend spacing apart children. What is the reason for that? For the mother so recuperating. This is- Fascinating. Dr. Price found that in uh, Africa and the South Seas, it was considered shameful to have a child more than once every three years. And this is perfectly supported by the science, the ideal spacing for the physical, uh, you know, to avoid birth defects is three years. And actually, the ideal spacing for the emotional development of the child is also three years. So we recommend that you wait at least until that child is two or a little older before you get pregnant again. And this allows the mom to recover her nutritional stores so that every child in the family is healthy and robust. And I can tell you that cuts down a lot on the jealousy, too, because in most (laughs) families today, the oldest child is the smartest and the handsomest, and then the younger children, you know, not quite so much, and that does create a lot of jealousy. But if the mom is really careful about her nutrition, all the children will be smart and handsome and healthy. <laughs> yeah, and they'll, children they'll are get getting along. so sick nowadays. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at a certain age, half of them already have a chronic disease and some even more than that. Yeah. So there's a lot of yeah. things we are doing in our diets and environment that uh, our life expectancy is decreasing, which is rather alarming. Yeah. yeah, you know, our most serious problem on this planet is not global warming, It's not lack of resources. It's none of those things. Our most serious problem on this planet is the health of our children, the declining health of our children. And this is where we need to focus our efforts. And that's what the Weston A. Price Foundation is doing. Yeah, look at the number of children of ADHD and the number, the percentage of autism from one out of 10,000 to one out of 38. And Stephanie Senna predicts it's going to be one out of two sometime in the next 10 years. So, I mean, there's alarming things happening to our children, which is alarming for our future. Yes, and this is the uh, very uh, horrifying consequences of, number one, the misinformation about diet uh, out there, and two, all of the things we do to our children, starting with ultrasound, which is very dangerous for these uh, the fetus in the womb, and ending up with giving them 
50 vaccinations before they're five years old. Uh, I mean, anyone with an ounce of sense can see that uh, we, need to, we need to step back from all of these practices. Oh, it's interesting that people who are questioning vaccines, one chiropractor just got charged or fined $100,000 for yeah. posting questions about it. And it seems that we're not allowed to question this any longer, which certainly raises some questions. Well, there's still a lot of people questioning it, and the Weston A. Price Foundation has taken a very strong stand on this, which we will not back off of, uh, because we're here to teach parents how to have healthy children, how to build a natural, healthy, functioning immune system so that none of these childhood diseases is a problem for them. I mean, that's that's the direction we should be going in. I agree. So let me see if I can summarize some of your main points, and then <laughs> maybe you can address some of the points that are important that I might have missed. So you want okay. foods from fertile, healthy, you know, organic foods from, and animals raised on fertile, healthy soil. So it's organic meats, uh, preferred over muscle meat. So we've got to have the fat with it, naturally. Or organ fats. meats, organ meats. Yeah, organ meats. Yeah, organ meats, animals raised on pastures and grass-fed, dairy raw or fermented, and I assume that means kefir, that we kefir is yes, something we Yes, sure. Mm-hmm. The only problem is the kefir, they sell it in plastic bottles, so we get a little BPA, yeah. BPF, and BPS. Yeah. Uh, and then raw, and then grains and legumes soaked or fermented, soy foods have to be fermented long periods but small amounts, bone broths, excellent for helping the gut, unrefined sugars, lacto-fermented beverages and vegetables, unrefined salt, natural vitamins occurring in foods, traditional cookings, and traditional seeds. So um, we have like about, uh, let me add it up, about 10, 10 minutes left. So oh. what other points did I not get to that you'd like to make? Gosh, well, you've done a very good job, a very good job there. Um, I think um, people need to learn to cook again. We need to get back in the kitchen um, it doesn't mean it has to be fancy, but it's just not going to work for the human race if we're eating foods made in factories. Uh, first of all, these foods are made with the cheapest oils, otherwise they can't make any money from them. So they're never going to use um, cooked potato chips and lard or you know, um, use butter in the cookies that they sell in the grocery store because these are too expensive for them. So... Um, that's that's number one. We really need to get back in the kitchen and, and cook for ourselves, um, prepare our food for ourselves. And that can be really simple. You know, you can buy some raw cheese and sourdough bread and butter and there's a meal, you know. Um, I, I think, uh, and also in the processed food, you have all of the additives that we've been talking about, the MSG, the, um, you know, the flavorings, the colorings, and so forth. So it's really a question of getting back to our roots and and to cooking. You know, I often point out that traditional people really didn't have any choice in what they ate. They ate from the land. Um, They instinctively knew they had to eat the organ meats, um, and they ate what was in season. They they couldn't decide between, you know, a taco and a burger. They, They ate what they had. Now, modern man is different. He has all of these choices, and he has to think about every morsel that he puts in his mouth. And so that we need to be very, become very conscious and aware of what we're eating and realize that we have a choice with everything, everything we eat. 
Okay, that sounds good. So what about intermittent fasting? Because there's a lot of people that say if you just eat, you know, like stop eating about five or six in the evening, you know, this will help your stem cells and sirtuins and do, do some really healthy things to you. What's your comments on intermittent fasting or fasting? Yeah, I, I like intermittent fasting. Uh, I think it's a good way to lose weight or keep from gaining weight. Um, I think it gives your digestion a rest and, you know, may have all these other wonderful benefits. But, um, I mean, I personally, most days have a big breakfast and a very big lunch around 1 o'clock and don't eat dinner, unless it's a special occasion or something. Um, But remember, those two meals that you do eat need to be really nutrient-dense, and you need to have a lot of fat in those meals so you don't get hungry. I mean, what is it that ruins all everyone's best intentions? It's hunger. <laughs> and um, the thing that keeps you from being hungry is lots of good fats. I agree. What's your stance on cod liver oil? Well, I take it every day. Uh, I think it's a wonderful, healthy um, superfood. But again, you have to be careful. Uh, most cod liver oil is highly processed with a lot of heat, and that heat destroys the natural vitamins, and they actually add synthetic A and D back in. So go to our cod liver oil page and read the brands that we recommend, and you'll find out where to get them. I think there's about five that we recommend that are natural, that have the natural vitamins. And you can also order our shopping guide, which um, names brand names for all kinds of foods, provides contact information, and has a page on cod liver oil. And I hope that your listeners will go to our website, westonaprice.org, and become members. It's a $40 membership. Uh, They receive a quarterly journal, a wonderful quarterly journal, and they support the work we do. We do not get any funds from the government or the food industry, so we are dependent on memberships. I find it a fantastic journal. It's got very in-depth articles that are very informative, and I highly recommend this to any listeners. Let's see. What about nuts? you recommend soaking them in salt water? Yes, the nuts are prepared a little differently. Uh, We recommend soaking them in salt water for about seven hours, and then you drain them, and then you dehydrate them in a warm oven. And this brings out the wonderful flavors in nuts, but also makes them... A lot more digestible, and a lot of people uh, find nuts very irritating to eat, and this reduces that, um, makes it go to zero for most people. But again, I would say you don't want to overdo. You don't want to overdo on anything. You you know, um, don't want to overdo nuts or grains or um, even vegetables you can overdo. So you want a varied diet. You want animal foods and plant foods. You want fats, carbohydrates, and proteins <laughs> and a range of nutrients. And you want variety in your diet, um, different types of fats, different types of animal foods. So um, I think that's good news for most people. You don't have to be extreme in your diet. But what you do need to do is pay attention to where your food comes from and how it's prepared. And I strongly recommend the listener to connect with Western Price, get all this information while you can, because someone somewhere is trying to close down on information on nutrition. So get all this information while you can, folks. Get all these websites, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And we're kind of going to have to be responsible for our own health, because... 
uh, it's going to be increasingly difficult to get good information. Yeah, absolutely. Um, get it now while you can. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I just kind of I hate to think what's behind it with 5G coming out and, and the president saying, oh, we want Europe to decide on GMOs in 120 days. I mean, 5G and GMO and glyphosate. I mean, we're just going to get sicker and sicker. So, folks, yeah. please do yeah, some yeah. research, get this information, share it, share it with your physician, consult uh, but, with you your know, physician. You know, at the same time, there's a lot of things we can do. At no time in the history of the planet have we had more information about how to eat, uh, more resources on getting good food. Uh, and, by the way, I had a conversation with Stephanie Senoff on the glyphosate, and she agreed with me that a really good way to protect yourself from glyphosate is to use a lot of broth, uh, bone broth, which has glycine in it, which yeah. will, um, you know, keep you from incorporating the glyphosate in your proteins. But, again, that broth needs to be made from organic bones, grass-fed bones. Yes, I just bought a bunch of glycine for that reason. Stephanie mm-hmm. was my college roommate, so we oh, go way neat. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we we did. I mean, we both had similar views, or you know, but I won't discuss those there. Here, okay. <laughs> anything? We've got two more minutes left. So, any final words? I mean, it's West Ton Price, which I can't pronounce very well. West Ton <laughs> so Price Foundation. W, it, it's W E S T O N. A P R I C E, but I think if you put in Western Price, you'd get it. We we own all the URLs, so they all take you to the website. And spend some time there. It's a fascinating website. Everything we've ever published is on the site, so it's huge. Uh, the only page that's down right now is our book review page, which we're redoing, and we'll get that up uh, shortly. Okay. Well, and please um, please consider becoming a member and supporting the work we do. I. I guarantee you'll find our journal interesting. I know that your readers tend to be, your listeners tend to be well-educated. And the journal, the first part of the journal is more scientific and technical, and the second half of the journal is very practical. So there we have it, folks. So please do your own research, share it with others. Um, You consult with your physician and get the information while you can. And above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. Are you looking for a great movie to watch? Tired of swiping through hundreds of different channels hoping to see something that sparks your interest? Well, I have great news to share with you. Today, everyone has either cut the cord with their cable company or are thinking about it. I cut the cord more than five years ago, and I don't miss cable one bit. There are now so many money-saving options to cable TV. My favorite right now is Roku. There are literally thousands of wonderful channels for every type of viewing experience you can possibly imagine. But today, I wanted to tell you about two very special channels, Indie Rights Movies and Indie Rights Free Movies. You will find both of these channels in the Movies and TV section of the Channel Store on Roku. All the movies on the Indie Rights Free Movies channel are absolutely free for you to watch. 
You can browse through hundreds of movies organized in interesting groups. You can scan through quickly, like top-rated films from Rotten Tomatoes, monster horror, country drama, dark comedies, crime docs, films directed by women, and social issue docs. You won't find categories like these on other popular streaming channels. Speaking of social issue docs, you might watch The Big Secret. The Big Secret is the latest work by Emmy Award-winning producer Alex Voss, directed by integrative physician Susan Downs. It's all about the influence big money has on your health and well-being. If you prefer to watch movies without ads, subscribe to Indie Rights Movies, available everywhere.